Hungry Days Collective. This is Take Two. Is Take Two. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. We spoke so much before this. I know, we probably have to do the podcast already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, behind the scenes, a lot of behind the scenes. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm really good. Yeah? Yeah. And uh, Kildare, how's Kildare. that going? Yeah, I'm football or, or just the county in general? Just the county, let's yeah, start I'm, it I'm easy. There. I'm living there since I came back from America and I'm originally from Salins, but I'm living in Newbridge now. It's actually five, six years this month. I moved into the same house I'm in today and it's I just live on the Curra. Um you might know it from the horse racing. Have you heard no. of the car from the horse racing? No. Um at least you're honest. <laughs> uh, so I just live right there, but it's just it's just plains of, of like ground you can walk and it's 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 beautiful. So I love it there. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And uh, when where were you in the States before that? Um so I went to Connecticut. I got a scholarship when I was seventeen. I'd just gone seventeen and I was actually living up in Belfast at the time. And I got word through that I kind of got the scholarship, but I ended up then on a plane two days later to to Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, it was a Division Two school over in America. Okay. Um. So I was over there for I think maybe just over four years. Four years. Crazy. Yeah, and then came back when I was maybe twenty two ish. Okay. Yeah, because I was seventeen, but I just turned eighteen, kind of when I went there, mm. and then I came back when I was about yeah twenty two. Okay. Yeah. And what was life like in the US versus in Ireland? Um, kind of. Do you know you you kind of have that bit of fear of the unknown, and you don't know what something is, but you have this image of, like, my only image of what America was like was from the TV. Okay. And it was like watching like American Pie, and they're having a party, and there's red cups, and it's just beer upon. Yeah, you know? and it's it's great fun, and America was exactly like that. <laughs> it was it? exactly like that. <laughs> like when basketball was it was and my scholarship it was very serious but I I got over halfway through the semester the first year so my my scholarship started it was January February March but basketball season runs from October so I came in halfway through the year so I had a couple of months of playing and then it was straight into right the off season and mm. the off season was you were allowed to have a kind of couple of parties you come home then or you you travel then in the summer and you come back in August for preseason, so the serious work was done kind of August to March, and then you could kind of take the foot off the pedal a little bit at March. So I kind of seen the kind of party scene earlier on, and um, yeah, it was exactly like it was in the telly. Yeah, but it was just I loved it because I think I had when I was growing up, like I I just wanted to get out of where I was so much. My head was just it was always racing. It was it was just mashed from everything. Um, just growing up right through as a kid and. I just was always running and I was always looking for this this escape. And it was almost like when this came, it was like, this is it now. Mm. This is what I've always waited for, this new opportunity. I can just be who I always wanted to be and no one will know me and I can start fresh. And that's what that's what I, I loved. That's what I wanted. And um, yeah, it was just, it was, the, it is the land of opportunity. And like, I actually, I'm going to, I'm actually going to look at flights to go back there at the end of this year because I haven't been in so long. Yeah. And it's something when I got into recovery, I said, I want to go back to America and actually mm. explore a bit and really take in what it's about because uh, it is, I, I loved it over there. Yeah. Yeah. Simple life. Fair enough. And I have this thing, right? Usually when people say that they want to like move abroad or just leave, I, I'm not pessimistic about it. Like, go, for sure. I left. 
But I think that sometimes people's expectations are that the moment that you land in this new country, everything's going to be better. And I really want to highlight that sometimes, like, same shit, different country, you know? Like, your problems travel with you. Big time. Did they travel with you? Um, I think for maybe a little while, it was was masked. And I heard a saying not so long ago, and they said if... If you have a ball of shit and you put it in a bag and you post it to America, when it gets to America, it's still a ball of shit. <laughs> Do you know? But it's just, yeah. you're, like you said, your problems, that unless you take care of them, they're not going away. Um, and it's, it's like a garden. You have a garden of weeds. And unless you pick the weeds and start dealing with them, mm. they're only going to keep growing more and more and more. And I probably masked it out for a little bit when I was over there because I was playing and everything was so great. But... That's what, when I, I got I got an injury and then everything slowed down and then everything just hit me tenfold. Yeah. Yeah, so um, at the start, I think it was all just all new and it was all fresh. Um, but I think when things settled in after my injury, I probably realized, oh my God, you have all this to deal with. Like, Yeah, you had, like, obviously I did a lot of research into you, so we'll tap into that. But one story that I like that you pointed out is how you actually got to America and your CV process. Yeah. If you wanted to go into that. Um, yeah. And I do, I do know what, I do a few talks with, with schools and with kids and I do always tell them that because so often it's the smallest little stories or little things that they'll be like, and you yeah. know, for me, like I just wanted, I heard that there was, um, he's a good friend of mine, Paul Cummins is his name. I'd heard he'd gone to America. He's from Kildare as well. And I'd heard he'd gone to America when I was younger. And, I, and then from from then, like, I just had it in my head that this was what I wanted. And, like, when I look back now, I was probably always naturally or, like, a bit obsess- obsessive with things or mm. I kind of was a bit addicted to things. But, like, this became my addiction. Like, I was like, I'm going to America. And I used to go to a camp down in Waterford called Dungarvan Basketball Camp. And I don't think it's running anymore. But at the time, I used to go every year. And there was... they bring coaches in from America. So, like... And like at the time then, like it was like, oh, an American coach. It was, it was new. It was, it was, it was cool. And a couple of coaches had said to me, look, I think you're good enough to go play in America. And then it gave me a bit of belief that, you know, maybe, maybe I am good enough. And so I went every year and then I think I was in maybe, I did TY in school. I did fourth year. No, I would have been in third year. I would have been third year. So the the coaches had said to me, look, Get some film of you playing. You need one full game right through with no breaks, and you need a highlight reel. So all my school games, I get, I get, I got a camcorder and I got them videotaped, and then I made a little highlight reel. So I made them on a, it was a VHS tape, like it was. A, so I had, I had fifty tapes. So I got fifty of these tapes made. I got fifty brown paper envelopes with the bubbles. You know those. I went and I made this little profile. And it was like, I actually, I I still have it today. I'm not messing. And I just look, even looking at it, it was a little picture of me and I'm so young and I'm just, I have all my information and all my honours, my, my, what I won through schools and all this. And I stuck that in and I stuck a letter in. So there was the tape, the CV and the, and the letter. And I just picked 50 random schools in America. And a couple of the coaches, had, when I'd speak to them from the garden, they kind of give me a couple of schools maybe to, to try these or this. And I, I literally went to the post office and I posted all them out and I said, right, it's done now. And I waited to see what came back. And so at the time it would have been, you would have either got maybe a phone call to your, to your home phone. Mobiles weren't really a thing at all. And uh, so you would have got a phone call to your home phone or you would have got, um, an email mm-hmm. to your, it would have been probably your hot, my hotmail at that time. Um, and 
I was I think it was weeks or months later before I got a couple of maybe emails back saying, Oh yeah, look, we've got received this, thank you, we forwarded it on. So there was a lot of them, we forwarded it on. And there was a couple of coaches that got back to me and said, Look, we're gonna follow your journey, we're interested, um, we're gonna kinda of follow you through, keep sending us over stuff. And there was one school, um, the University of Bridgeport, and um when I when I ended up in Belfast then later on, um the coach said to me, look, I, I, I want to give you a scholarship. And I had kind of, I was really good at maths in school and a great maths teacher. And Mary McMahon was her name. She was, she just, she was really good to me. Like, and I just love maths and I love solving equations. But like, you, you could not get me to sit down and write, like, and do English or any other subject. I just, I, I just loved maths. And, but my grades for maths were really good. I set the SAT exams and my maths teacher used to actually bring me and sit me down and show me how to study for the SAT exams because I had to sit down in, in sixth year. And I was like, no, I'm not doing the leaving cert. I have no interest. But she was like, look, just do your leaving cert. We'll get you ready for the SAT exams. But she just, she minded me and she was so good to me. Like, and I ne- I'll never forget it because I set those SAT exams and I actually, I actually got really, really high on my maths grade and I ended up getting a part academic scholarship over. Okay. So I had part athletic, part academic scholarship to the States. And um, when I was coming... I was trying to get through the Clearinghouse, the NCAA Clearinghouse, which is an organisation over there. But because I went to um, St. Mary's College in Nace, even though it wasn't a college, it was a secondary school. They, when they, when they looked at it in America, they thought I was been after been to college here. And if I was in college here, I couldn't go to college over there. There was a different process I would have yeah. had to went through. So there was kind of a bit of a mix up with it, and it took a couple of months. And then I was coming through Queen's University one day. I was after playing. I was up there practicing, and I, I was walking home through Queen's. I had a phone, I remember getting a phone call off the, the coach and he said, look, the clearing house are after clearing you. I need you here in two days. And I, I, I flew over then. But it was all, it was just determination. And I was tunnel vision that I, I was making this happen, you know. And um, when I when I look back like and think about it, it's, it's probably insane. Like, I, I don't really think, did you ever look at or go through something and you kind of just, you don't really realise the magnitude of something or what you've just done until years later and you look back and you say, Jesus, like, I realized that, but I was just so determined to get there. There was nothing, nothing stopping me. And it's just, it's like the power of human power. Like it's just, it's, it's incredible. Like. Yeah. You would be in automatic mode in that moment where it's like the nose, not even brush off you, but it's like, you're so determined on a yes in that moment in time that it's like, it, it happened to me as well. But like the moment that you get a yes, you don't even think of any other consequences or anything that's going to happen. No. It's just like, yeah, I'm desperate. I'm I'm there. Like I'm going to be there. You yeah, know, like the power of visualization, I think, is, yeah. is huge. Or, or do you like now, like speaking of you at this point in time, would you like look into manifestation and visualization? Oh, and lo- oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, of attraction. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember actually, um, my brother actually gave me the secret actually a few years ago. And he's like, read this. I read it. It's great. Like my brother's, he's real open minded as well. And we okay. got on great. And he's a great guy. And, um, I remember he, he gave me that. And it just, it was like, it opened my eyes to, because like I, I used to be like that when I was younger. And then you go through life experience and life knocks you down a little bit. And I think you get down and, and you kind of get a bit close minded. And then sometimes like, you read a book and it's all of a sudden it, it opens you up again or someone says something to you and it gives you a bit of a bit of inspiration again and I remember reading The Secret and I remember oh look I've lost this little bit of magic in me yeah and um, I think I've learned in recovery as well like I have a little like routines I have to go through daily and I do that because some days I could wake up and my head could be 
a million miles an hour. But I know that if I have those little routines that I go through, um, I can settle me and I can I can kind of ground myself again. And I think one of the things that I, I did and, and I, I constantly change is I have a vision board and I, I made it and it was a cork board. I, I, one of the, I think the, the best things I've ever bought in my life was probably the cork board I got for a vision board and a whiteboard I got in Tesco for three euro because I was able to visualize and start creating a future because for so long, like I never, I never imagined me with a future. I always thought in my own head, well, you're not going to be alive then. So don't be worrying about that or you're not going to make it past 30. Like I had this thing in my head that I was, I wasn't going to live past 30. And when you start creating vision boards and you start writing down goals and things you want for the future, like that's the magic. And I, I never did that only until maybe two years ago. And so I, I still have my vision board. Some of it, a lot of it's come true and new things have gone onto it, but I haven't taken off what I've done. Okay. I, I've left it there to say, you know what? Don't ever forget what you, what you've already achieved because I think we can be very hard on ourselves. And so I leave that open and I add a couple of new things to it. And then I have a whiteboard that I say, right, look, maybe this week, what do I want to achieve? I want to do this. Um, because I'm very goal oriented. I think maybe from the sports or whatever it is. But when I can see things a little bit clearer, like written down, I think visually, um, it, it makes it a lot more clear in my head. So I love, I do read books on manifesting and I, I love just different ideas and meeting people and people being open to things because I do hate, like, I do maybe sometimes when I'm talking to the kids, I just see someone and I just think they're so closed in and I'm like, the world is magic, but you have to go and create your own magic. Do you know? It is, it's out there. Um but yeah, I do, I love it like. Yeah. Yeah. And I've little affirmations and things I do every day and stuff like that to to kind of when I do, because you can go off track, but it can bring you back on and say, Look, don't forget, you have a plan. This is what you want to get to. Um and I think I've learned in life as well, like I used to set expectations and think that I had to meet them. Do you know what I mean? And like think this is, you put everything into it and then you get so let down because they're all your own expectations and they didn't come true, but you've built it all up to be this. Um, So with things I've learned to have, not to have expectations around things, but I have a goal in mind. But look, if it doesn't go that way, you're going to go another path. Yeah. So I think which is important because sometimes I think when you throw all your eggs in one basket and you fail, then you think, oh, look, this didn't work. This is worthless. But look, you're just being redirected. Yeah. That's that. That's huge, I think. But um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's kind of like s- life plays out the way it wants to. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, there is a lot of stuff that is so, so out of our control. But it's good to focus on what we can control. And a lot of anxiety and expectations, unfortunately, come from the stuff that is usually out of our control. You know what I mean? If I were to say something in the next, like, sentence and it takes you off, I I can't control your reaction. You know what I mean? I can't control whether or not... You could have said no. And we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah. So it's uh, it's interesting. I, I like the law of attraction. I had a previous guest and we kind of like spoke about it that the issue sometimes with the likes of the secret or manifestation and all that is that now it's getting a little bit too glamorized yeah you know it can, it can be yeah it happens with everything i i think that's always the case you know where it's also just if you see a photo of jesus and it's like don't scroll say amen like in the comments and share it or is he going to get bad luck is there's always going to be that kind of stuff and i think that right now um 
a lot of creators are kind of sharing the concept of manifestation without the tools and the training. Correct. I think maybe they're, they're yeah. kind of throwing it out there, but not really going into, look here, yeah. you have to do a little bit of work here. You can't just write down what you want, exactly. print it out, stick it on a vision board, do absolutely nothing to achieve it. Yeah, that's like, the thing. There's, there's a process, like, and you do, it can't be something you just go to once and then go on, don't go to. Every mm-hmm. day you need to put your energy into achieving that and like there's action required yeah it's not just right i'm gonna write this down i'm gonna manifest this it's gonna happen and i'm gonna get all this money yeah life doesn't work that way no, no. it doesn't i think i i remember i read a book um it was the first book i ever read in america my coach gave it to me it was called john wooden did you ever hear john wooden he's an old basketball coach he used to coach ucla okay he co- coached him to 12 national titles but he's i read his book and it's, it's his philosophy on life and he didn't coach basketball players just for on the court or just for basketball. He coached them to be good men and mm. good men in life. Mm. And I remember reading that that book and it was the first thing that really opened my eyes to to like what's out there and what you can achieve. But it was it's kind of like manifestation, but it, it's not. It's about, look, if you have something in life, be a good person and work towards it and, and you'll get it. Um, yeah. I think, like like you said, people can like build it up to be this thing and then people are like oh this doesn't work but like you have to stay with it and you have to consistently be at it every day I think consistency for things in life is key people Mm -hmm. start something that didn't work and then they don't finish it but like we are what we consistently do Um, so I I think it's there's magic out there but like it's not magic alone that will make things like that come true action is required exactly and I think that goes into like faith as well and all that I had someone on that said life is usually hard work and serendipity where lo- luck comes in magic will come in yeah but you have to fucking work Big you know time. like i think we get i don't think you get in life what you deserve i think what you get in life what you earn mm. and like often just because some like it is the way it is today it doesn't it's not always going to be that way you know and i think we we can we face a lot of adversity and ups and downs in life but like i know and i have a great belief that no matter what life throws me i'm going to be okay yeah. And I'm going to be able for it. And um, I've, I've got that just in the last couple of years. It's just like a peace or serenity that, you know, it's happening for a reason. I believe there's no such thing as mistakes in life, just lessons. And I do try and say, right, look, you're, there's a lesson been thrown in front of you. Um, you need to see it. And the warning signs are there. And I believe that the lessons will still be thrown in front of you unless you learn from it. So I've, I've kind of, a, I've a belief that the universe will keep putting things in front of you until you do learn the lesson and say, right, now I'm going to stop you because you're not seeing the warning signs here. Yeah. Um, and we were discussing injury just before you came in. And I, like, I do often say, like, when you look back and they say, well, look, that happened for a reason because, like, I wasn't listening to the warning signs and I was doing too much and I was going too fast. And in a way, it's probably after slowing me down. But now I, I need to look at the lesson. Yeah. And say, what am I learning from it? Because if you, if it happens... And you don't learn that from it. It's going to happen again. And it's going to happen again. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think there's lessons in everything. For sure. Mm. For sure. And you have to be open for, for those lessons to come in as well. Yeah. And listening. Something that, like, I've been practicing. Not even practicing, right? But something that came across me recently is checking in with yourself. I feel like I always had an open mind. Yeah. I, I was always a very reflective person to the point of overthinking. Never once did I think about a self-check-in and just being like, Deb, how are you doing? You know, like, remember that stuff? Like, that you're pissed off over not, like, acting on or doing? Do a little check-in. What are you wasting your time on? What are you not? And it's that 
I wish there is a blueprint to life that you can just like hand over and give oh, to someone. You talk to kids, right? So you know, you look at them and you're like, holy shit, there's so much that life can give you, you know? And it's going to be okay, but I can't tell you what the fuck to do. Mm. Well, I think all we can do is share our experience and just guide them. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. For um, sure. Yeah, that's like that's all we can do. And I think I think everyone has a purpose and everyone has a reason to be here. And like our reason to be here is is for me is to give back or to talk about what I've went through so other people can say, well, look, there's a, a real life of what can actually happen. And like you were saying there, I think like you interview or you do podcasts and you're always on the go and you're always asking people how they are. But do people say to you, like Debbie, how are you? <laughs> do you know what I mean? How yeah. actually are you? Because sometimes you can be in this like you're just going so fast with everything and you can be in the race of life that you actually forget to say right here slow down take a deep breath mm. and actually let's uh let's just relook where we actually are here um i do a thing every evening it's, it's an inventory of my day and okay. i just go through a couple of questions and i answer them i might only i might brush through it one night it might take 10 seconds other nights i need to go no look do you know what you were way out of tune today you really need to look at where that's coming from and at the end of every day before i jump into bed i'll try and do my inventory and it really does it's like a check of yourself of you know how are you doing or do you need to watch that or needs this needs to change you know yeah. so that's something i've kind of i've incorporated into my my daily habits that that helps me because i think you can get thrown into that race of life and you can get lost very easily yeah. very easily what are the questions that you ask yourself at the end of each day there, there could be something like say did you harm anyone today mm. did were you did you live an honest day like that was something for me when I came to recovery that I really had to really had to focus on because I was so used to my whole life manipulating and trying to get what I drink or drugs or tablets or whatever it was everything was a big lie and I was lying to this group to go to this group and no I wasn't out last night I wasn't doing this but you were you know every different group had a different mask so to say and I used to leave leave all this kind of different lives and I think I learned to just be this one person the last couple of years and it's been a huge relief for me because like the truth needs no defense, you know? And that's why if I'm doing a talk or anything like that, like it's not, I don't feel any pressure or people say, do you not get nervous doing this or doing the late late show? Do you not get nervous? No, because I'm just, all I'm doing is speaking the truth, you know? Um, and that's one. So, uh, like I tried, did you, did you help anyone? Because I can naturally, I can be a selfish person. So I constantly have to say, right, did you think of someone else today? Did you do this? Did you send out a few texts even to say, how are you today? Or, you know, so that's even something I can do in my, my morning routine. I'll throw in gratitude there. I'll say, what are you thankful for today? Because, like, I, I have an injury at the minute and we, we were talking about that. Like, the head takes off when you look at the what ifs. I can't do this. I can't do that. But you, sometimes you need to say, right, but look at the things you can do. Again, what's the lesson? Look at all the gratitude you have in your life. And... I'm injured and I can't say I can't run. I have a scan tomorrow, but I'm waiting kind of on results. And you know when you're in limbo? Yeah. And the last few days, I'm just been in my head a little bit. And I, I kind of did it, just a list of going to bed last night of just inventory. And it was just like, you know what? You didn't have a home five years ago. Today you have a home. You didn't have family five years ago. And now you have people that always want to be around you. And when you write your gratitude, sometimes it can be like, right, okay. Now... Now I'm grounded again. Now I'm okay. And like, there's a war in Ukraine. There's like everything that's going on in the world and your problems don't seem so big anymore. Yeah. So gratitude is one that's on it as well. Um, and I, I don't look to the next day. I wake up to the next day and then I do, I go, I restart all again. 
but when I go when I go to bed at night and I do that, I leave it and I close it and then that's done. And um, I'll say a little affirmation or sometimes a little prayer or whatever. I kind of feel if I need, I often read before I go to bed and it quietens me down because uh, I be just like I used to be. My head used to always be racing loads, but now it's almost like I just I have a lot of energy. So the only way I've ever found to kind of settle that for me is I can slow down and read a few lines, but I need to meditate. Like mm. uh, like I, I just. And I don't like saying I have to. You don't have to do anything in this world because that used to be so drilled into me. I have to do this. I have to do this. And I'd always be punishing myself. So you don't have to do anything in life. But like for me, meditation is just huge. And to be able to put the headphones in, close my eyes, put on, it could be even only three minutes. But that focusing on my breathing and getting me present, that'll settle me. And I'll do that. I'll do that before bed as well. And then, and I'm sleeping great at the minute. Like, because I never, never used to sleep great at all really yeah and oh the difference a lot of people have even said to me recently like geez you look so much younger but it's just because i'm, I'm getting a bit of sleep are you yeah. exactly yeah and because i've no i've no guilty conscience or worry did i harm someone today or who did i lie to or who did i manipulate and i'm just going to bed with a clear conscience and oh like that stuff's invaluable like yeah. it really is yeah who was mary when she was addicted Oof not a nice person and like I said to you I had so many different masks like I didn't know who who I was myself I was just always running from myself I hated myself and like I do like I'm on a program and stuff and I, I work constantly on trying to understand myself and to better myself because like something I was doing last week was right there's a page of all your defects and stuff you need to look at and here's a page of things you're good at and the whole page of all the bad stuff was just highlighted. And I was going through the good stuff and it was like, it was hard to, you know, we're very critical of ourselves. Yeah. And it can be hard to say, you know what, you're actually, you're a very caring person. You know what, you, when you live an honest life, you're actually a really good person. And the more I kind of was going through that, the more I realized like, I used to be all this. And mm. this page on the left, all the, all the badness, all the poison, I used to be that. And, I, and I'm not today. And I know I can turn straight back into that. Very quickly, by I go and drink, I go take a drug, I start being dishonest, I start manipulating. I, you know, all that stuff starts coming into play because to me, that's not living a good life, you know. Um, and I used to be all that when I was, when I was drinking or using. Like I just, I didn't care about anybody else. I, cu- I couldn't feel, and like I was so selfish and so self-centered. Like Where you wouldn't. Oh my god. Like and it wasn't. Was, uh-huh. It wasn't until a long time that I realized that. Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah. What was something that, like, not even that you regret, but what was just like a generic day for you it, during that time? Would you just like cut people off? No, like, say the last two years of my drinking, I was very isolated. Like, and I that's okay. when I came into recovery, like people say, "Oh, you're, you're selfish to the core and you're a really selfish person." I was like, I wasn't. Like the last two years of my drinking, all I did was want to be on my own. Yeah. Do you know this was me thinking in my own head, mm. but like. Like when I came to the end of my drinking, like I was sleeping on a mattress in a house with no electricity and it was completely derelict. And I was only after been living in my car and I had nothing like, and I was just waking up, cracking a can. And that was the start of another day. Wow. But like if I took, if I didn't take something and I came through that I was left with my own thinking, like I used to be the anxiety, I used to be so scared and. I'd take Xanax, Valium, I'd take tablets to calm me down. And it was just always a cocktail of things to just, me just escaping from myself. 
Do you know what yeah. I mean? I was always looking for escapism and something, whatever it was. Were you numb? Uh, oh, completely. Like, yeah. I got that first feeling of that numbness after I got that injury when I was in the States and I got Oxycontin for the first time and I chased that numbness my whole life. Yeah, that's what I wrote down actually because you hear a lot of situations, usually in America, I think Europe is a little bit more careful, let's put it that way. Yeah. Nothing wrong with the US, just facts. Um, but I'm not one who encourages blame, but do you think you got a little bit screwed over with g- being given Oxycontin and not being taken care of afterwards? Um, I like what you said there. I'm not I'm not one to blame. And I, I don't believe that either. I think everybody has to take responsibility for their own lives. And I could say, oh, I blame my drinking for this. I blame this. But like at the end of the day, you take responsibility for your life and no one's coming to save you. If you want to change your life, you change it. Yeah. Like people can help you and people can guide you. But at the end of the day, you're the one that needs to take it's action. You. So it's all on you. But I was at the stage in my life, I think, where I, I think drinking drugs actually saved me in a way. And okay. like, like I really do believe that. And people sometimes will be like, what? But I like, when I got injured and like I was, I was taken, I was on like a kind of a higher dose of oxycodone and a lower dose of oxycontin. So one was a slow release and I was on that for a couple of months. And I remember when I started to try to come off that and I remember my thoughts were starting. I was kind of just starting to be left with myself and I was kind of not training with the team. I was still working on my own rehab. And I remember, I remember specifically the first time I ever thought that like, oh my God, what the fuck is wrong with your head? And I looking back now, I know I had massive depression, mm. like massive, but like, I didn't know what was wrong with me then. And since I was a kid, like I always had sport, never been injured, grown up, always had sport to just keep running, keep escaping. And it kept me safe. And then when sport was taken from me, I got that injury. I had drink, I had drugs then. I had tablets. That was keeping me going. And when I started to try to come off these, I had nothing. I didn't have sport or I didn't have tablets. And it was like, right, you need to try to get back to life now. And I was like, oh, no, I can't cope. And yeah. I, I was trying to get more tablets then. And then I was trying to lie to doctors to say, oh, this this injury is it's still killing me. And my pain is, is at a 10. And there'd be nothing wrong with me. So I was manipulating and lying to try to get more. You know, so in my head, when I look back, was it was it was it was really really filled with a lot of poison and a lot of things I'd never talked about and things I'd seen and things I'd gone through and I'd never spoke to anyone so like I took that first oxycontin and the numbness again it came and it was like it took away physical pain it took away mental pain it took away emotional pain yeah and to me I chased that numbness then my whole life so like if I hadn't have found that and I hadn't have been given like something that strong or I hadn't found I found drinking then after that if I hadn't found that like I wouldn't have often been able to cope in this life in my own thoughts at that time like and that's why I do say it saved me like I think I actually would have taken my own life very young like it delayed you oh I think I yeah I wouldn't I couldn't cope couldn't sit with myself I hated myself hated everything about myself wow all I wanted to do growing up or like was just to fit in to be a part of something I never felt like that ever I always just felt like I was I was the tomboy playing sports or I was never part of something. And the only time I ever felt that feeling was when I drank or when I drugged. That feeling of wow. being, belonged to someone. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a way, I think it, sa- it saved me for so long. Yeah. Crazy. Mm. When you got that injury, was that your first rock bottom? Yeah. It, I, I don't say rock bottom. And do you know why? Because I learned through, through relapse and recovery because I thought, look, 2016, I'm at rock bottom. 
I'm trying to take my own life and I, I come into recovery, right? But for three years I relapsed and things got worse and things mm. got worse. And I always say, I never say I have a rock bottom because shit, <laughs> shit can always get worse. I see. It, like always. Um, but I think when I realised when I realised that I had something really seriously wrong going upstairs was, was when I had that first injury, yeah. Yeah. And I didn't talk to anyone about it. And I remember like, just like been so filled with emotion one day I'd been sitting in my dorm and I was sitting at a desk and I remember just like just wanting to cry but not being able to but like it was all this emotion all this feeling in my head and not knowing what was wrong with me mm. and I I had that right through until I said you know you're just you need to talk you're addicted to that and drinking drugs has absolutely destroyed every chemical in your brain and you, you need to stop it and like that depression I had when I think back like to 2016 like I I was chronic like to the point where I was just numb I didn't feel anything and like it was such a dark place like and I was only talking to someone earlier about like when you hear someone taking their own life or people who say like he left his his wife and kids there how could he do that and you don't realise how painful it is to just be here and you just want the pain to be gone and like it was, I just, when I even think of kids or, I just don't ever want anyone to feel like that again because it was so dark and to me there was no way out. Like, to me, if you told me, like, in six years you're going to be sitting here doing a podcast talking about how you're, after getting your 18 months clean and sober and you've got a family, you've got a license, you've got a car, you've got a dog who you adore, you've got a little business and, you know what, you've got peace of mind today. If you had told me that in 2016, there's absolutely no way I would have believed you. And to me, there was no light. And, like, that was it. And for me to, like, see someone else now suffering, or I just, I want to show them, you know, like, there's another way. Like, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. But requires a bit of action. It does of ourselves to, to say, look, I'm going to start talking, or I do need a little bit of help, because unless you do it, no one really can do it for you. Um, but I haven't had that darkness since like you mm-hmm. know and that's, a, that's a massive statement because like I thought I'd never go and 15th like I relapsed for three years and then the October 15th 2020 I was back exactly where I was that, 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 that day in 2016 where I wanted to take my own life again three years later wow. I was back there again and I said oh how is this after getting like this how am I after getting worse but I wasn't wasn't taking any action wasn't reaching out wasn't doing the right things I was just still lying still manipulating just going here because people told me I had to go here and pretending telling people I was clean and sober and I was flat out taking tablets like because people couldn't see that yeah do you know what I mean yeah and in 2015 the 15th of October 2020 I said look what like you have you had that moment with yourself and you need to check yourself and I was like what are you doing here like you like you're at this place again where you're you're suicidal like and mm. you've been given there's people been thrown at you to help you but you you haven't wanted it so what changed for me was I started asking for help myself not because other people wanted to give it to me I actually started reaching out and I started saying right look what do I need to do here because to be honest my head is 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 back at rock bottom again and um I got a counselor which is something that was huge for me because I used to have really bad trust issues with talking I said I can't tell someone that no way yeah. so, uh, gee, they're going to judge me yeah oh my god imagine actually 
people shit on you so much in your life imagine trusting someone enough to tell all your deepest darkest secrets to oh yeah like they can go tell their partner like <laughs> oh my god so for me to trust someone to actually have to talk to was huge mm. and to be to me that's been the biggest the like it's been the biggest relief i think is getting things off my chest and dealing with it and then when that comes in now i i try to deal with it straight away i don't let it fester it's almost like you get rid of all the skeletons Okay, but you don't let any more in now. You, when they start coming in now, you need to get rid of them or you need to pick the phone up because yeah. you, you know what you need to do now, but mm. you need to do it yourself. Um, so, like, I don't I don't let things... I pick up the phone straight away and every day I make sure I make make sure I make a couple of phone calls. Um, okay. Because I think, like, with this, like, you're either moving forward or backwards in life. And I think if you're kind of staying static and you're in the middle, you're going backwards because that's when all the old habits start creeping back in. So I'd look at myself and say, right, am I learning today? Am I progressing? Am I growing? And even if it's only slow, it doesn't have to be a million miles an hour. Um, even if it's something just slow, one foot in front of the other, that's all That's all I kind of need to do, you know? Yeah. And so you've been sober for quite a while now. How has, like, is it... Because you said you were three years, like, relapsing back and forth. A, what triggered the relapse? And B, was it, is it tiring to be sober? Like you just said that you have to go through X amount of steps. Like, is it difficult to a certain extent for you? So, uh, A, I, yeah, I came in in 2000 and, no, 17, sorry. I came in in October 17, not 16. Okay. I, in 17. And, um, so like, it was literally like, right, you're in, right? You can't drink or you can't drug, and you need to keep coming to meetings. You need to. Try, I tried to get the treatment at the time, but for a different story for another day. But I couldn't. And after a day, I was like starting to sober up a bit because I, mm. I drank consistently every day at that stage. It would have been. It was all not two years. It was shy of two years. But wow. I was. I'd done that every day, and I was in those bad patterns, and and like then it's gone, and. Like you had withdrawals, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. like, like uh, how were you? Ma- I like, like I was, I was taking tablets to try and ease the withdrawals a little bit, but I was starting to come true to reality, yeah. and I hadn't lived in reality for so long, and that absolutely was just the most fearful thing in my life was to me- be left with my own thoughts. And I remember after the first day, I remember just looking in the mirror, and I was just like, "No, I, I hated myself. Like, I couldn't even look in the mirror." Like, you'd wake up in the morning, I wouldn't look at the mirror even, like, to see was I okay. I'd just brush my teeth with my head down, I'd just put on a jacket and I'd be gone. Like, I I hate, I'd no self-respect, no self-worth, no self-care. Like, at the end of my drinking, I'd get up and I'd, like, I'd be doing well to get to work if I had a pair of socks on or if I had a pair of matching shoes on. I'd just keep the head down and, actually, I remember I was walking into work and I was about, I was about eight months kind of clean and sober and I remember, I remember just looking up and I was like, I'd never seen the walk to work I did before in my life. My head was always down. And it was about eight months and I remember just going, oh my God, like this is, it's gorgeous. Like the trees and the blossoms and everything. Yeah. But I just, I was, I was, I was just functioning. I wasn't, I wasn't present at all. Like, and uh, so like, I think that was the worst place I've ever been in my life is, is when I was just left with me. Mm. And like, Thinking back then, like I'd break a fingernail and I'd be like, "That's it, I'm gone. I'm going to relapse." Wow! And I wouldn't tell anyone. I'd just run. And even when I look back now, there was little situations like, and 
someone would be put in front of you. I was only talking to someone about this the other day. I said, no, I'm gone. I'm after getting a couple of days. I can't cope with it. It built up too much. I said, I'm going to the shop or I'm going to get a bag. It could have been anything. And someone would be, was put in front of my path to stop me that day. Someone I'd known from recovery or something else. There was all little things now that I look back and I was like, geez, there was all signs that the, the world was really trying to help you. Yeah. But I, I struggled so much, so... And for three years, I, I I did I did that like and it just it got worse and it got worse, and I like even if I do kind of try and talk to people relapsing and I just say like, do you know what? Like, there's, there's, you don't lose your experience because I learned from all them. Um, so I'm eighteen months next week, and I, I, that's still I'm so early in recovery, like you know. But like since I I was six months in and I kind of I threw up a thing online and just from the football and stuff, it was like oh I'm six months clean, it's over, and it blew up. So my recovery's been really highlighted to the whole nation, and it has. It's been everywhere. So yeah. like, was the pressure on? Like, do you feel the pressure? No, because I think if I had been at the stage maybe in 2017 where I came in and I was honest and I was like I'm in recovery, oh, I wouldn't yeah. have been able for the pressure. I see. But I I knew this time that was it. I said, I'm done. I had no reservations. Whereas before, I didn't need a reservation. The smallest little thing, it'd go wrong. Someone would ring you saying, look, I need this. Or we owe, owe me this. And I'd be like, oh, Jesus, I can't cope. And I, I'd go and I, I'd I'd be gone. So I had no reservations this time. So to me, there's I don't feel any pressure. Like with anything, I don't fear. I don't really have a whole lot of fear today. And like, I was trying to think how, like, I don't be nervous. But like, I do always say to try and pick up that phone that day to ring someone to say, I need a little bit of a dig out here, was hands down the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And nothing has ever come close to it since. It was like, I can still feel it. Like it took me, I remember saying, right, look, I think you might just need to stop drinking, stop the drugs, and maybe your head might sort itself out. And it took me seven hours to make the phone call. I couldn't. It was like, you know, when you're going to do something and... It's hard. Yeah, it's so like hard. nothing's ever matched that fear yeah. inside me. So... I knew this time when I when I tried to get clean and sober, I knew I was done. So I don't feel I don't feel any pressure from it today. And I think I know myself like that. I, I want to I want to live this life. Mm. Um, I don't ever want to go back to the life I have I had before. And um, and your your second part, like, do I find like it hard to stay sober to keep to doing all that? No, like, oh my god, like if I think like there's a saying like your your worst day in recovery is still going to be better than your best day back out in addiction. I and, see. Okay. Um, like, I love that saying because it's so true. Like, when I think, like, not to having the crack and been out, but where my head was back then, like, all the money in the world, if you offered me every every bit of money in the world and you said, just have one drink, I'd say, not a hope. Good luck yeah. to you. I wouldn't trade what I have going on in between my ears today because it's a bit of peace. And I've never, I've never had that, you know. And just to be, just to be able to be there for people or to have friends, like, and, people that care about you and just little things like that like all that'll go because see I go drinking I just I couldn't understand why people wanted to come home or why there was where's the after party or people be going home on a Monday morning to start work and I'd be saying going to the early house saying alright let's go like do you know what I mean I couldn't stop and for me I know I just some people can stop drinking and that's it or they can go out and have a pint and they learn about themselves for me I just can't like I'm just too I'm too obsessive about things yeah. and like, I I just, I can't have one of something and I need to really watch myself with that, not just with drink or drugs, but every every area of my life, like I said to you, like, you can look for escapism in anything. Money, um, like, attention, social media, everything. Food. food. I, like, when I first came into recovery, I just couldn't stop eating sugar because oh, it was just, yeah. you know, it's just little things like that. So you look for, 
an external force or or something external, but it's just looking to fill this internal void that you have in you. And like I said, like meditation for me has been great because that really fills that, you know? And, um, I wouldn't trade the life I have today for all the money in the world. For sure. Mm. I'm I'm glad. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I think sometimes, uh, the stories are usually not even highlighted, but like it is the general narrative that like you want to get people want to get better. People are in a rut, and it's very rare that you hear someone say like, "Listen, I'm doing grand," you know, like li- life is good for now, anyways. Um, so it it's actually so nice to hear that. The thing is, I know, I know as well that if I take the foot off the pedal, I know I can get very sick up here very quick. Mm. So like I said to you about habits, like I can't just pick a day where I want to do that and oh right, I won't do my program tomorrow, I won't go through this tomorrow. Like I consistently need to do stuff. Yeah. And I think like that I think that's to. important as well. Like okay. when I slow up on this, I think it's almost like my addiction just comes back tenfold. Mm. So I need to keep my recovery moving, like Do you think the discipline of sport helps you out in that? Yeah, I think I'm I think like I'm conditioned to like I need structure and I like I just I like having structure and routine and I think I get that from sport like Monday's gym Wednesday's pitch session Friday's pitch Sunday's pitch you know that kind of way so I like having been able to see things and visualise things coming and I think with sport it's given me a structure and that's why I think when when you have an injury and it's taken from you it's almost like you just feel lost what am I going to do at 5pm now (laughs) oh my god like you have to find something else then yeah that you can do to kind of that you you get that because sport for me it, it like it kept me present and I would used to live up so much upstairs up in my head thinking of all these thoughts I had going on that when I played sport like you had you didn't have to think about a ball coming out like you had to just be present in the moment yeah you weren't thinking about oh my god this like this has fucked you up now do you know what I mean no like so, the ball is being thrown at you like all you have to think of is catch it yeah it it, kept, it keeps me present sport though so like that's why I get that with meditation I can be very present during med- meditation but um yeah, I think structure and I'm I'm a creature of, of habit and routine and I just, I know that works for me and there's nothing wrong with it. I like, I just yeah. run with it, yeah. Uh, for anyone that knows someone that is going through an addiction problem, what do you think they can do to help? Um, Like I said earlier, like, unless someone wants to get well, you can't force them to get well. But I think, like, there's things you can do. Like, sometimes we can often be so caught up in our own lives that we don't, we kind of don't see sometimes oh jesus that person when you look back oh jeez they are struggling and often it can be something simple as you okay like how are you all right today you know or here come on we go grab a coffee and you you know they're kind of not well but like maybe going for a walk or something where they're they don't have to sit down in front of a therapist and say oh look these are all the problems that are going on in my head but where it's a bit more casual where you can say look come on we go for a walk and, and tell me what's going on um someone is very bad like all you can do is is listen all you can do is be there and just and listen because like unless someone wants to get well you can't force them to you really can't but I think maybe just being a bit more kind of aware of if someone like maybe you have a an inkling that someone is is struggling or that maybe just how are you doing are you all right or do you want to go for a walk or do you want to go for a coffee and not trying to get it out of them straight away or not trying to fix everybody straight away but maybe saying oh sure look do you want to go again next week or just a little bit more maybe compassionate and I think listening can be can be huge like you know yeah I think a lot of people tend to get frustrated the moment someone refuses help yeah. and they're like 
oh, the fuck you. Like, I'm not texting you anymore. No, we can't fix anybody. We can only no. fix ourselves, but all we can do is just just pass on what we've been through or our message to, to maybe guide someone and maybe someday they will want it and that's all you can do. Exactly. Yeah. When it came to the All-Ireland, you drank eight cans before the final. Yeah, that was 2016. That was 2016. Yeah, like, and, like I think back, like I, my, th- my thinking at that time was... Like, okay, you need to go easy tonight that you're not going to that match mangle tomorrow. Exactly. And that's what I wanted to bring up, which is you really never know what someone is actually going through. Like, no. eight cans is a shocker. That's, and that I'd was say, easy I bought, I bought eight, but I drank seven and I drank one the following morning. There you go. And I did, my thinking around it was, don't go on the bag, don't have any whiskey tonight and you'll be able to play that match tomorrow and you'll be grand. Wow. And I remember, remember that day because... I bought the cans and I was sitting at home and like I said I'm not going to the pub because I'll be seen and mm. like at that time like it was an all iron final I said Jesus if I'm seen I'll be shot like so I said I'm going to just drink at home like and um, I remember saying like that should get me enough that it'll put me asleep and then it'll get me out of reality out of my own head and I'll fall asleep and I remember falling asleep about half eleven I don't know why you know so much about that day because my memory is shocking but I remember I f- fell asleep about half eleven and I woke up at one o'clock that night and all I had left was was a can and I was like, oh my God, I had nothing else like. Um, I think I actually wrote, ended up rooting out a few tablets that night but I had nothing. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Like I wasn't getting collected till eight o'clock the following morning and I was starting to sober up a bit and I was like trying to save for this can I had but I'd actually, I'd been uptown on the Saturday and I, I wouldn't, I, I used to have really bad anxiety. I wouldn't go to shops or I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I'd only go on early when it, it was dark or it was closing time and you wouldn't see someone. But I remember picking up a book that day. I don't know why, i just seen it and it was um, a book by a Cavan goalkeeper. I don't know, Mira was his name, Mara. And I remember reading his book from half one that night right through till I think about seven o'clock the following morning. And I was just trying to savour this can. And um, I remember it was a book he, he wrote about his his struggles with depression. And I remember reading this book and I was sitting there drinking a can, about to go to an All-Ireland final in a couple of hours and I was looking at the book and I remember saying, that's wrong with you, that's what's wrong with you now. You have depression, that's all that's wrong with you. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing else wrong with you. You just have a bit of depression. And I remember reading it going, jeez, this is great, this is deadly. And drinking, drink, tipping away like, and when I look back at it now, like I do just think, how mental was I? But... I started, so I, I don't remember anything else that morning. I just remember being in Crow Park thinking, I need to get out of here. I just didn't want to be there. Yeah. I just remember looking up, I think it was in the second half, and I just have a memory of just looking in the stadium going, I am stone cold sober here. And I was like, oh my God, get me out of here. And you played your best match probably. Yeah. <laughs> I played, I, yeah, I, I did well that day, but like, yeah, it was almost like people say, to ask me, like, how did you play well or how did you function as an athlete like when you were consuming so much like an autopilot yeah and you're running you're going on adrenaline and I think you're almost nearly so cautious to try and make sure nobody knows what's going on behind the scenes in your life that you almost nearly you play better because you're concentrating more you're trying to do this more and do you know it's kind of it was yeah. almost like I was trying so hard to mask what was really going on that I was I was able to function and I was able, able to play you know but uh Oh, I just couldn't wait to get to the dressing room to get to my bag to get tablets and then get out because I knew we were just gone and that was it. Yeah. That's, that's all I could think about. Crazy. Yeah. 
Um, did anyone express concern within the sports team? Um, I, uh, I got a message from my manager, I think, on the Friday or the Saturday, I think it was. And he texted me. I don't really talk about this, but he texted me saying, look, try not to have a tipple tonight. And I, I didn't know what a tipple was. I remember picking up my phone and going to Google and saying, like, Google. And I remember looking at it. Does this lad think I'm an alcoholic or something? Wow. And this was my thinking, like, and I, oh, like, I was, I didn't talk to that man for so long because of that. And like, you were defensive. Oh, big time. Which it kind of like, comes back to the honesty, like, the self-honesty that you kind of spoke about before, oh, where it's yeah. like, you knew. Yeah. And, like, I thought I had melting illness, like, I don't know what was wrong with me. Now, I knew I shouldn't have been drinking like that, and I definitely shouldn't have been taking drugs, and I definitely abused tablets. And I knew all that, but it was almost like people kind of, in a way, didn't really question me because they, I don't know, they fear me or, or what, but people, I'd isolated myself from a lot of people. Like, a lot of, like, all I really had at the time was, like, my brother, and he was, he lived kind of a good 30 minutes away. Like, so I completely isolated myself, and like, there was a, a couple of, I had a really good teammate, and she kind of asked me, like, why is there duvets and pillows in your car? or what's going on and I kind of be like ah just I brush it off and change the subject or just get on with things but um there there was a there was a couple of people that had yeah but I nearly got aggressive towards them or kind of mm. I, sh- I shut it out um just in just complete denial and and not wanting to not wanting it to come to an end you know not wanting people to know the truth what was really going on because like if I like if someone knew I was living in my car and I was going for lair training and I was coming home and taking drinks and drugs and then I was getting a shower in the dressing room because I had no electricity then to the house and moved in later on and people knew what was going on really like um, I knew I knew people would have tried to get me help and I wasn't ready at the time I see I, I wasn't ready at the time at all so I one big fear I had was when I came into recovery and was to tell people that look you're not drinking anymore and you're, you're going to change your life. I had this big fear. Oh my God, what am I going to do? Like, how? Because I was life and soul at the party when I went out. Yeah. And I get always just be mad. And just, I love the crack, like. Yeah. And just, oh my God, the fear I had. What am I going to do? How are people going to know? And then I tell a couple people, oh, about time. About fucking time, they said to you. And it was like, <sighs> this relief over me of like, okay, you can you can just be yourself now. And yeah, I don't have to pretend that I'm going out and having a drink when I really can't drink because I'm in recovery. I just... I got honest and all anyone said to me was about time and well done. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people just like don't say anything and that's fair enough. I think the scariest bit sometimes when people are trying to sober up is peer pressure or just being like, oh no, come on, have another one. Like you can come out with us. What are you going to, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And you have, you should believe people. If they are on a diet, don't try and tempt them with a donut. Yeah. Leave them the fuck alone. 100%. And people don't like to leave people alone sometimes, depending on the group. What I'm going to say this. um, When it comes to Ireland, right, obviously there's quite like a drinking culture here. Do you think that something could help younger people out in terms of like binge drinking? Because obviously it's going to be something that nearly every person has to go through their teens binge drinking. Yeah. Nearly everyone. 
Do you think there is something that could help these teenagers out and maybe change stuff a, a little bit? Um, I think like at that age as a teenager and you're growing up and you're in secondary school, I think all you want to do, all anyone wants to do is fit in life and be be accepted and be it's wanted a part of the process, and be yeah. loved and to be a part of something. And all anyone wants to do is to fit in. But like, I think it's a lot worse now in society. Like, and I think for younger kids, especially with like social media and like you can pick up Snapchat there and you can get drugs in five minutes. Do you know what I mean? Like it's so easy accessible. It's it's frightening. Um, it's frightening today. But I think if we can, in any way, like all we can do is, is make people aware. But like, I think to anybody listening, like, or and a young person is to have a voice and to never be afraid to have a voice and to be who you truly are. Because I know for myself, it would you'd be peer pressure. You all I want to do is fit in and be accepted. Yeah, I'll have that. And deep down, thinking, oh my god, I I know it's wrong to have that. Yeah. You know. So I think. Bringing out that inner voice inside you, and to really, to to be strong in that, and not to say, "Oh, look, I'm 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 not going to be different. I just want to be like everyone else." Fuck being like everyone else. Be different and stand your ground and have a voice. Because often I think when you do that, you realise that do you know what someone else is going to say? Oh, do you know I don't want that either. And you can actually, yeah. you can you can pave the way for others. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think that's huge, and I think at that age, like peer pressure is massive, and especially we grew up in Ireland, we're in. Society where drinking culture is just come on, we go to the pub. Like that's the thing. Yeah, like you know, drugs surprised me so much over here when I moved. Yeah, it's like everywhere. it's everywhere, mm. and it's so scary. Like it's so tough. Yeah, it is. It's it's frightening. And the thing with look, the thing with drinking is, you can go out and casually have a few drinks. And I've nothing against people to drink. I go out now and I can have the crack with the lads. All my mates drink, and I'll sit there. But I know that's not for me. And I've absolutely nothing against it. But I mean, you can you can take a bag, you can take a line, you can take a tablet and you do not know what's in it no. and your life can be over look I remember the first time I touched a drug I ended up at the top of a bridge trying to jump off a river and only a taxi man was passing and he pulled me off it but oh I had gosh. a horrendous trip and like I could have been gone that night because you, like you don't know what Fuck. you're what you're taking into your body you know so I think there's there's a couple of different there's a couple of differences between, between drinking drugs but like I think having a voice and Standing for what you truly believe in is massive. Um, like there's like zero drinks now, and people will nearly have a zero drink, so people will save you the hassle of having to ask loads of questions. Whereas now, I, like my recovery, obviously, is way out there, and people don't ever ask why you're not drinking. But like yeah. at the start, I'd be like, oh, I'm driving, or oh, I have a match tomorrow, or you feel the need to explain yourself all the time. You don't have to fucking explain yourself to anyone. No is a complete answer. It's no, and that's it. Have a voice and be strong in that you know and I think I think that will help others yeah yeah exactly and when you you keep mentioning how like afraid of like your head you wear yeah what is probably your first memory of being afraid of yourself um oh good question um I grew up like in my mom was an alcoholic and she she's doing great today like she's she's six months next week clean it's over there you go and like I never had like I never had a relationship with her or aunt and I didn't I absolutely hated her to be honest and like she she'd ring me now and she said do you want a bit of dinner and to me that even still is like they're the miracles of recovery but to me that's like it's so overwhelming some days I'm just like oh my god but like a lot of things like were brushed under the carpet or they were hidden or there was a lot of stuff like I suppose that you just had to get on with and yeah. and that was it and 
you couldn't you couldn't you couldn't tell people it was just like oh get on with it but I always felt different kind of as a kid when I think back growing up and I remember even being in school like and you'd be looking at someone and they'd have this lunch and you'd be getting awful resentment saying oh like you'll be there with a sandwich with a bit of jam on it and like it like you know what I mean you'd have made your lunch yourself and someone could have and I used to look at other families or other people that were really loved and cared for and all this and I was just thinking to myself you have no idea like you know there was so there was just I suppose there was a lot of secrecy and stuff and things that I just had to keep in and I never talked and as far back as I remember I just always remember just being up in my own head there's no specific time or memory but I just I always remember just being upstairs like and never been able to be present really sport was the only thing I could ever be present in you know I always just felt that there was just noise going on or there was voices in my head and I know it sounds mad when I say it but that's the fucking truth that's the way it was yeah. you know um, just always felt different um, and then as I kind of grew up through teenage years and there was things and there was just there was a lot of things that had gone on that had just built up all that and like I said about the weeds instead of picking them out and get rid of them they just they kept growing and kept adding to the point where I was about to explode so I was 28 before I started talking about one crazy you know yeah my god it's so unreal to just like look back on the journey and all that and like you like you did this like you got mm-hmm. yourself here I think with the, I think a lot of people have been put on my path to guide me and to help me. But like, like that, I I do. I, when I wake up in the morning, like I do, I do have an app that has um my my, my little routine or the few bits I do. But it, it has as many days as you are sober, and I do look at that first thing because I always think to myself, like, do you know what? Never forget where you where you came from. Never. Because to me, this is the hardest thing. Getting sober is the hardest thing I ever did in my life. Hardest, like but like the best without a shadow of a doubt, you know? So I do like, I do. I think we are, we're awful for that. Like as people just in Ireland in general, like we, we find it hard to say, you know what? Well done to yourself and to, to give yourself a pat on the back. But like, I think you need to, we can be so critical of ourselves. I think we, we do need to do that. It's important. Like, but I, I don't know. Sometimes I still pinch myself for what's going on. Like, I, I don't know. Like, like when I came into recovery, you used to say like, you know what? This is going to give you your whole life back and a little bit more and your life you're going to have your life back and like the life I have today is something I never imagined like I really like I I was planning on taking my own life at 30 and that was it like mm. and I didn't plan on having kids or having a car or going on a holiday I just thought no you don't deserve any of that you know what? you're going you're not going to be here and now to plan a future my sister is in Canada so we didn't speak to my sister for a long time we lost Contact and hadn't spoken about six or seven years it was a long time like and so I was in recovery I was only a couple of months this in 2020 and she was coming back from Canada for a visit uh, to her boyfriend's house and I was actually chatting with my counsellor about it and he said I think you need to text her and you need to reach out to her because she's your little sister and we we're so close like we're uh, she's just me world like I love her to bits but I hadn't spoken so long to her like just because of addiction and whatnot and I met her in Nace in Kildare that day around Christmas time and and since then like I just we talk every day but like to me that's another little miracle like I have her in my life every day now and she's coming home in July and like to be able to be clean it's over and to have a a car with like a license and to be able to go and collect her and to be able to go oh look we'll go down the country and meet you and have my dog Bailey we're going to head down and plan a few bits for when she comes home like that like just to me is happiness like I never felt that like that in my life like then 
Jesus, I can't wait to see her. And exactly. Got, yeah, those feelings you get, that happiness though, that natural happiness, I never thought that existed. Like, and I get that from in recovery the whole time. Mm. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. The little dog, Bailey. The little dog, he's 55 kilos. Uh, the not so little the dog. The not too happy, yeah. The little dog in our eyes, just because like, you know, they, they're so... Um, what's the word? I'm forgetting it. But like, they have no like evil in them. They're just so precious. good. They're, they're so, so pure. Precious. They're just yeah. Um, you have not a lot to owe to Bailey, but Bailey uh, is part of your journey for sure. If you want to go into that a little bit, yeah, ah, uh, he is. I like, I like, I struggle with feelings a lot. Like, I used to be very like unempathetic towards people or couldn't feel anything or you know people saying oh we're going to a funeral or have a new baby or I just never felt that and then I remember getting this dog this puppy like and I remember just waking up the next day and I don't know what was going on but I remember just looking at him and going oh my god like how am I'm responsible for this little thing yeah and I remember getting this feeling in my chest of just oh, I just loved him and I got him in Clare actually and I got him out of a there was a I think there was a, a traveller selling them in a garage. I, my memory isn't great. My sister has an unbelievable memory. She'd tell you everything. Um, but he was covered in like piss and shit. This lad was selling them out the back of this, this van. I remember saying, I can't go home. I can't, I can't like, go home without him. Yeah. I remember getting him. But I woke up the next day and just remember, put him in the sink and washed him up. And he was like a polar bear. And I remember thinking just, where did this thing come out? Like, what is going on? And... But this feeling I had towards this little thing was just like, it was just pure love, like. And I'd never felt anything like that. Like, I could never give it or I never felt I received it. And even, like, when I think back, like, like even, like, relationships or anything, like, be in a relationship looking to get out of it, to go to the next one, because I was always just, oh, you're you're getting, you're going to know too much now. I'm getting rid of you. Mm. And you're starting to ask questions now. I'm getting rid of you. Wow. And I, I never really felt but with this little thing I was just like you can't talk oh my god like, <laughs> yeah. he, but to, to this day like nothing touches me like him like yeah. it's just this love inside <laughs> me and like oh my god like I dread the day that dog goes because I absolutely adore him like yeah. but he he kept me he kept me alive for so long like he really did there were so many days I'd wake up and I'd say no like I had repetitive thoughts of I'm waking up today and I'm taking me on life and that was that was for a long time like a long time and Bailey would have been maybe about like about four at the time then like so for my two years last two years of my so when he was kind of four five and six like but like the only thing that would keep me going that day was like oh you know I may get up because I need to let him out and he'd be just sitting there on the bed beside me like and he just he just adored me even when I was I was sleeping in the car and we'd know where to live like he'd sleep in the back seat and I'd sleep in the the front seat and it never bothered him and he just always wanted to be be beside me like and I just, I adored him and I'd wake up and I'd say, you know what, who's going to mind you? And I didn't, I didn't want to take my own life for so long because I was thinking, you're just so attached to me, like, no, you'll, be di- you'll die, yeah. You won't be able to cope. And that that day in 2016, I said, no, I said, I can't cope this anymore. Like, I just, it was just so bad that day I woke up. Now, I thought about it for a long time, but I decided that day, I said, no, today's the day. And I knew when I, you know, when you kind of know you're going to do something, that's it. Like you've made a decision and you're committing to it and that's it. But I knew that I'd, I'd had them festering for so long. Like, and I woke up that day and said, no, today's today. That's it now. And I'd wrote a letter and I knew I was going to get 
that the postman was going to was going to come in and he was going to to see everything that no one else had to see and anyone that my brother didn't because he was only the kind of person I was close at the time and I was going to ask my brother to mind bales and uh, I went for a walk I said I'll bring you for a walk in the car one last time and we went down the car so when you walk out of my house it was right beside the car I went for a loop around and I had the jacket over the head down I'd fuck off written across my forehead like I was just in such a dark place like soulless like there was no feeling to me there was just nothing I was empty I remember coming back and we met this man just on our walk and he was had a little Jack Russell beside him. I've never seen him before. Like, and I do the loop that I made sure I didn't meet people. And in the last little strip back to my house, you kind of, you could have met someone. But I used to kind of go where I knew I'd be left alone. Like, and we were coming back around and I just met an old man and he just stopped me and he was just, because my head was down, he just stopped me and he said, oh, look, Jesus, isn't that just a beautiful, beautiful dog? And now Bales is, he's gorgeous. Like, and I remember just, thinking oh, like he, he is isn't he like but my head was in such a dark place that day like, I just couldn't I couldn't see anything else but the small little social interaction with that man it just I don't know what it was it changed everything it was like amongst all the darkness like it was the tiniest little glimmer of light and I was walking back up the road towards my house and I just remember saying like no I said you won't you won't survive and I said I need to ask someone to help me maybe or tell me how they stop drinking so I can stop drinking because that might fix my head. And still at this time, I didn't think like, you know, everything else that's going on. I just thought maybe if I go, e- go ease off on the drink a little bit, maybe I'll stop taking drugs and stop abusing tablets. Maybe that like, my head will kind of sort out a little bit. Mm. And if it, wasn't, if it wasn't for that dog, like genuinely, I would not be here today because it was the only thing that I'd wake up and I'd say, no, who's got like, I, I have to get up out of bed because I have to give you a little walk or who's gonna mind you like that was me thinking around it and like he comes everywhere with me today like yeah. everywhere we go to the shop he jumps in the back and he sleeps at the end of the bed and he's so funny like but i just i i just that dog taught me how to love and i know that probably sounds mad but i couldn't connect with that in my whole life i could oh, never yeah. connect never feel and if the only bit of connection i got was for from a dog like it was a start you know but uh Ah, he's deadly and it's just it's unconditional love and like he's never ever done anything wrong with me or never all he just wants is when you come in a pat on the head and just you walk out the door for five minutes and you come back in and just he's like oh, are you here oh, he gives you he, like he does this thing where the retrievers do it a lot but he, he finds something to give you when you come back in so everyone that comes into the house gets a present of a sock and he just he drops a sock but like all the gang like they all all my mates and all the, the gang with the gym they all love him and we'd be working out and he'd be just sitting there in the gym up on the sofa or I have a chicken as well and the chicken does sit up on top of him and fall asleep and he the just chicken. yeah the chicken yeah. He just, we have a chicken called Beyonce <laughs> and he just know. barely be asleep on the floor and the chicken does <laughs> just walk across him and he's just he's a gentle soul and I never felt that like I feel for that dog yeah yeah it's magic oh I can't believe that you have a fucking chicken. Now. A chicken <laughs> called Beyonce. Beyonce. Yeah, yeah okay. I had a few ducks, but they flew away. Someone told me that their their your man told me that they were their wings were clipped, and I looked out the window one day. We had two little white ducks called Squish and Squash, and one day I just looked out and they were just flying. I said that was it. All right, and their wings were, are not clipped. They're not clipped. They're gone. <laughs> so I have Beyonce the chicken. How is she? She's great. She's laying again the last couple of days. So. <laughs> but like I loved you know I, everyone does laugh and I do get they get like great crack out I just love a simple life like oh I, yeah I, I love it like and I'm gonna like my my future is me and, and Bales and we're just in a little 
a log cabin somewhere with a little bit of a farm and just a quiet life and oh yeah to me that's 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 the goal that's the dream yeah you know? it's uh, so amazing to see like someone's journey going from utter chaos to like wanting and being comfortable with peace so many people are so scared of themselves and their own thoughts you know where and i do think that technology right now has a massive role to play with consistently distracting us yeah sometimes you hear about dopamine detoxes and stuff but a dopamine detox scares the shit out of me um so like i feel like we're never alone we're never alone now um so then like being across someone that like craves not craves sorry but like is so content with themselves and just like wants to just be even more at peace and at one with themselves Mm. is unreal like even meditating meditating is hard for people it's hard for many yeah Yeah. and you know like when i started it um because I used to think meditation and yoga was for like nut jobs. Like I used to yeah, think, oh, yeah. you do yoga meditation. You're one of those wackos. Like who's going to light incense and all this crack? Like this was my thinking around it. But someone said to me, they said, look, go on to YouTube. Said put earphones in, lie in your bed, and put something over your eyes to to try and not distract you. Because I'd have the attention span of goldfish the best of times. Like but so I did that. Yeah. And he said, put on two minutes guided meditation on YouTube. He said, do that, and that's all you have to do. And maybe try that then again in a couple of days yeah. so it was baby steps so it was a two minute guided meditation and then it was maybe I'll try a five minute and then it was I built up but it was always Progress. just where I had to get rid of any distractions and just try and, and just breathe and be present and I'll never forget the first time I meditated properly because I picked up the phone and said you won't believe what's after happening I said I'm after meditating and they're laughing at me he says yeah he said I know you have because your reaction to it like but I was doing it for so long, but my, my head started to slow down just from being consistently doing it. And then I got to this place where I was separated from my body and I was just looking at my body on the bed and looking at everything and just saying how irrelevant everything, all the problems, everything is. And I was just at peace. And it was only for, it could, it could have been, I don't know how long it was. It could have been 20 minutes I was looking back there. Or it could have been two seconds. Mm. But I just remember getting this feeling and it was just like, it was this separation of mind and body where I was just looking down and I was so at peace and I remember I just rang him and go mad I said I can't believe this <laughs> I, I said look you might not always get that but yeah when you consistently do it you'll get it a little bit more often and that can be your little so that's me that's my safe space today like I know if I'm after having a mad day or something's going on get into that meditation even if it's only for 10 minutes recharge the batteries rebreed, let everything settle and refocus again and that gives me that but that's almost like that's my safety net and like imagine now that I actually have that that I never had that in life yeah but like I know that from that I I get this peace and I get this calmness that I I never got anywhere else but uh that's how it started it just started from headphones in eyes closed two minutes YouTube and now I love I do I, I know which meditations I want to get now and there's even some great like say in the day I say oh, look I want to be creative today or I want to looking for a little bit more there I'll even throw on like a manifestation meditation and I'll say right get out that vision board again or whatever it is you know or some days I might struggle with anxiety a little bit because I, I still get that a lot and there's a meditations for anxiety and all of a sudden it's 
Yeah. yeah. Gratitude, manifest, uh, gratitude med- meditations as well. Like, there's oh. so many. It's a library. Yeah. A library. And you'll find the ones that work for you then. Yeah, the yeah. voices as well. Yeah. Like, I don't meditate well with women. <laughs> Do you female, not? No. no. I, 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 I only one, medita- one person I listen to now as yeah. well. Yeah. Who? Uh, Joe Dispenza is his name. Okay. Yeah. And uh, he's the one, like, but it's almost like I, like I try others, but I'm like, no, they're not as good as Joe. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, like... You have your favorite person yeah. to like close your eyes to, but fair enough, like s- some voices are meant for meditations. Yeah. I brought on Neil Omurku. He is a breathing instructor cool. and all that. Uh, like he, he works alongside Wim Hof sitting in your seat and I was in a trance. I oh, was wow. just like, oh, okay, I am out. Like, oh, it's my turn to speak. Like, <laughs> oh, but it's just, it, yeah, it, it, it calms it's just that you feeling down. of... All the feedback I got was, oh, wow, he is so calm, Deb. Wow. And I was like, he is. Cool. Like, verse, like in fact, even editing the <laughs> podcast for that one was like, Jesus fucking Christ, your accent, Deb. Like, <laughs> like but sometimes, Deb, sometimes if I do a meditation, like, and sometimes you could come out of it, like, and you could be looking at something. Sometimes I look at the dog and I'd be like, oh, like, it's just like, everything is just so, like, cool and, and yeah. great. And life it's is magical. just like, yeah. like, man, you're just magical. Like, yeah. it's almost like a drug in itself. Mm. It is like, it's just... Ah, it's a superpower. I think it's also just because, like, we live... I think that, like, part of the human experience is constantly bouncing back and forth between the past and the future. Past and the future. Which is fucking bizarre to me. That's the last thing I said before I left the house. I said, the human experience is so fucking complex because we can think... And that's what makes us different from other animals, is that, like, we have this consciousness. The downside is that we have this consciousness... That we have to deal with. And only the other day I was like, holy shit, I am stuck with me. <laughs> like, I'm best, I really have to fucking figure out how I'm going to live and be okay with the present. Life just carry, like, you just go with the flow and then you're like, holy shit, I'm turning 25. Yeah. What? Life can pass you by. But I, like, isn't it great that you're able to just be? Yeah. It's great. Like, it, it, you do need goals and you do need visions. Yes. But like... When you get rid of all this that's going on, that you like, like you said earlier about the stuff you can't control. Yeah, you can't control the past, but you no. can deal with it. And you can learn to around emotions and feelings around it, and why you yeah. are the person you are today. And you have to let go of the past as well. I oh, think. Oh yeah, like uh, just context matters. You yeah. know, the way we were brought up and the circumstances that we were born into were very different. Unfortunately, like the hard pill to swallow is that you kind of do have to let go of that anger and bitterness towards the fucking sperm and egg that you ended up becoming you, you know? Yeah. I got great peace in, in recovery actually. Yeah. With forgiving and, and with understanding that like What know, helped you forgive? Uh people they talk about forgiveness and uh, and this and that, like and I couldn't understand like when I was growing up, like I was like say so with my own mom I just couldn't understand like why would you do that to your kids or why would you lie about this and why would you put your kids through that yeah. and then like I had such hatred there oh my god like I tell you now like I'd walk in some days and she, she could be out cold and you'd say I hope she doesn't wake up wow. it could, like it was like that strong and people say oh and you, you're you going to get into recovery now and you're going to learn to forgive her would you believe that and I said not a hope I said you don't you've no idea I said not a hope not, not, you don't know the story. Not a hope, and people are like, oh no, you do that. And I said, no, this is this is different. Not, not, not a hope. And I, I learned from my own addiction that 
when you're in that state, you will put absolutely anything, anything underneath once you can get a fix or once you can get a drink. Like you'll walk over anything to get that, whether it's your kids, whether it's your family, whether it's you saying, look, this is all going to be gone. It's all going to be destroyed. Yeah, I know, but I'm going to get, I'm going to get that there at the end of the day. So like I learned from my own addiction, there are reasons why she did it. She was an addict. Yeah. Do you know, she was an alcoholic and I, I learned that from my own addictions and I actually, I really got talking to her, like, I don't, I don't mind talking about this because she's, she's open as well and she's, and like I said, she's doing really well today um, and I'm really proud of her, like, because I, like, the, the people talk about there's no such thing as a hopeless case, like, I thought, like, there's no hope of this one ever, ever doing well and like I said, she's six months next week but she, she wasn't, she, she was, like, she all did last year and she was like we thought I thought she was gone oh wow and it was only my brother had said to me look I think you need to go in and see her or you need to see she alright like I was kind of nearly going in to say goodbye just to just so I wouldn't be 10 years down the line and I was going to be further on to recovery and I was going to be saying you know what maybe I should have just visited her I yeah, said, I regret I said like I didn't for your want, own self yeah, not selfish I was only doing it for me yeah, 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 100% yeah. I was going in to say goodbye to her like good luck like and like she she ended up pulling through and she ended up getting well and now I'm now we talk about recovery and she started to get things back and she's doing she's doing great today and it's only in this in this in a small space of time like and my feeling towards that is just total acceptance and mm. I used to have massive anger issues and I'd like people nearly fear me even playing sports like I'd be just getting red cards and getting sent off left right and centre because I just had such anger yeah and like I don't have that towards her today because because I understand why she did the things she did or why she is the way she is, you know. But I think everybody, I think life is short and we, we only get one shot at this. And I think everybody makes mistakes uh, and they do. And I think everybody deserves a second chance. And uh, like I think forgiveness is, is huge, not just to forgive someone else, but I think forgiveness for yourself, what it can do for you is, like you said, it, it'll, it'll, it'll free you, it'll let you go. Yeah. 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 It's it's a tough one, eh? Like because so like there's so much to figure out, and I Isn't think that the magic of it all. Though? Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. It is. It is. I think like I agree with you entirely. I'm not arguing with you whatsoever. <laughs> I'm just looking at you like cool. You're wise, <laughs> but um, no. But it's like I think because we get so attached to the what if and the should have if. I'm going to use your example. If my parents didn't drink, I would have gone to a better school. They screwed me up. I will not forgive that. It's a tough one to let go because if you are so attached to the fact that if I got my education, I would have been better, you know? Like, I understand the fucking Rubik's Cube that you have to, like, fucking figure out and, like let go of it's it's so difficult but yes like it think, is actually like, that easy i think no matter like sometimes like you can kind of i think with standards like so say you, you hang around with people of a high standard like they speak mm. the truth they're good people the environment is good it's positive you're gonna you're gonna be like that but you hang around with people and they're they're gonna be negative and they're gonna be talk about other people and it's gonna be toxic and poisonous and you're gonna start lowering your own standards to that so i think sometimes like I say we'll always want that bit more I think as people we'll always look for what's next yeah but I think like if you have this and you say oh but I could have had this 
But what about if you had this and the life that you had, somebody else would look up and say, oh my God, imagine I had that life, that privilege to do this. Yeah. You know, and I do think like, people said, you live a life of regret or like this. And I said, not a hope. Because if one little one little thing in my, my past has changed or I didn't, I, I regretted something or I wished it was different, I wouldn't be here today. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And with your life, you wouldn't be sitting here today like pod, like doing podcasts and think about the amount of people you help with your podcast. Yeah. You know, and I do think like one little change in my past and my path could have went a completely different way and yeah. I wouldn't be where I am today. So I think we'll always think like, look, what's next or, or like, what if this? But I think, like you said, if we can learn to just be and be happy with what we have and, and gratitude is huge, especially with what's going on in the world, I think, I think we'll be all right. For sure. Yeah. For sure. It's within you, eh? At the end of the day, it's all fucking you. Oh, big time. Yeah. Oh, deep one. Tough one. Thank you so much, Mary, for joining me. Oh, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I forgot to thank them the other day. (laughs) Cheers. Longer Days Collective.